I love our Christmas Eve services. This is maybe one of our, my, my favorite services of the year. I just, I love this time of year in general. Uh, and yet, maybe on a, on a light level here, um, do you know what Christmas means for many of us? Christmas means that this time of year, many of our social media feeds are going to be flooded with different pregnancy and adoption announcements. Happens every year. It's kind of a trend over the last couple of years. And they're really exciting. I love a good pregnancy announcement. It fills me with, you know, just powerful emotions just because of our own story. Uh, But it has the ability to conjure up all kinds of different emotions. I think about a young married couple who's been married for a few years, and, uh, and they finally find out that they're pregnant. And they make that pregnancy announcement with joy and with excitement that comes with that. But then I think about a different kind of emotion that is provoked with uh, a married couple who's been married for years. Maybe they've got four uh, kids who are in elementary school or older, and they said to themselves, we're done having kids. We're just going to focus on these four only to find out that little surprise that number five is on the way, right? That, that can provoke a different kind of emotion. Maybe one of surprise, maybe one of freaking out a little bit in that moment. But these types of pregnancy announcements can produce all kinds of different emotions. I think about a married couple who's been struggling to get pregnant for years and they've been unsuccessful. This is something Lindsay and I can relate with, at least early on in our marriage, but years of trying and yet just filled with disappointment and heartache, just quietly suffering. That married couple all but has given up and yet a miracle happens and they find out that they're pregnant. And that pregnancy announcement is different. That type of pregnancy announcement is extremely powerful because it's unexpected. A type of announcement, when it's couched in circumstances that are hopeless, are just extremely moving. Well, the passage that we're going to look at here this evening is from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And it begins with a birth announcement of a baby that would come, not nine months from now, but some 700 years after the prophet Isaiah spoke these words. This birth announcement isn't flashy, it's not creative, but it is so powerful because of the hopeless circumstances that surrounded Isaiah's announcement. This is the greatest birth announcement of all time. These verses in Isaiah 9, they they really, they set the stage for the most astounding events in history. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is our passage here this evening. The word of God reads this way. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as I mentioned, the circumstances surrounding Isaiah's announcement were bleak. They were dark. They were hopeless. What was going on here in the 8th century is that the Assyrians, who were the, the, the world superpower at the time, this foreign nation, had taken Israel into captivity. God's people, as a result, experienced horrific circumstances. They experienced incredible oppression, loved ones that were killed, families that were broken up. If you're an Israelite living during this time in the 8th century, you lived with this perpetual state of hopelessness. There's nothing on the horizon that would communicate to you that change was coming. 
Assyria reigned and darkness and hardship were the norm. Now, even though we live in completely different circumstances, you and I can relate with living with challenges. 2020 has been a hard year. 2020 has been a year filled with hardship. Been living through a global pandemic. We've experienced political tension, racial unrest. Most of us have experienced the sense of polarization among our friends and family members because of some of the decisions that we've made. Some of us have experienced um, our jobs and our finances negatively impacted. You've experienced maybe some um, emotional instability, maybe some mental health um, issues as a result of this year. The, The list goes on and on and on. This year at times has felt very dark. It's been a time of uncertainty, a time of of confusion, a time of pain. I I wonder if at some point this year, you've asked the question, could this year get any worse? And yet, do you know what God loves to do in times that are dark and confusing? God loves to flood them with hope. That's exactly what's going on in Isaiah chapter nine here. Isaiah's announcement of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, was entrenched with hope. Because remember the circumstances, remember Assyria is in control here and that there was really nothing on the horizon for the people of God that would communicate change. And yet what we see in Isaiah chapter nine, verses two and three, is that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has, show, has light shone. You, referring to God, have multiplied the nation. You, referring to God, have increased its joy. So look, in the midst of hopelessness, what we have here is God promising to change gloom to joy, darkness to light, distress to peace. Isaiah 9 is God promising hope. And yet, when we think about who God is, and if you were an Israelite in the 8th century, you're thinking, okay, God is this transcendent, infinite, morally perfect in every way kind of God who's sitting on his throne with all power. How does that kind of God break through and enter into the circumstances of his people to bring hope? Well, verse 6 tells us, God becomes a baby. That's God's plan. That's God's plan from the beginning of time to bring hope to his people by becoming a baby. 700 years before the angels sang, 700 years before Mary obeyed, 700 years before the wise men gave their gifts, 700 years before the shepherds came, Isaiah the prophet explains what Christmas is all about. That Christmas is all about God bringing hope to the hopeless. Christmas is all about God declaring that circumstances do not have the final word. God does. That's what the beginning of verse 6 is really saying to us. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This is, of course, referring to Jesus Christ, the pre-existing deity, Jesus Christ is the only person who ever existed before he was born. One of our favorite Christmas songs that we love to to sing, and we sang it even here this evening, celebrates this reality. 
Now, I, I love you way too much to sing this before you today, but I'll just read the, the lyrics for us. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Look, this is what is so astounding about Christmas. This is why we celebrate, is God coming down to us. This is what we call the, the incarnation. God putting on flesh and dwelling with humanity. But this evening, I want you to, to consider the humility of our God for a moment. I want you to think about how majestic, how glorious, how transcendent God actually is. And yet he humbled himself by becoming a baby. He did this to display his humility. He did this to display his love. He could have just sent an angel. He could have sent some other majestic being, but no, he sent his only son. John Phillips says it beautifully. He says that the great mystery of the manger is that God should be able to translate deity into humanity without discarding the deity or distorting the humanity. Yes, the incarnation of Jesus was a true and a genuine wedding of perfect deity and sinless humanity. That the creator of the universe became one of us. This is mind-blowing. The infinite son of God, the eternal self-sustaining being, the one who put every atom in its place throughout the universe became dependent on his mother Mary for nourishment and care. It's unbelievable when you think about it. You think about the kinds of things that Jesus experienced for us. And he did all of that 2,000 years ago because he loves you. He did all of that to make hope not just a potential for us, but to make hope a reality. I love how Ann Voskamp describes this. She says that, so God throws open the door of this world and enters as a baby, as the most vulnerable imaginable, because he wants unimaginable intimacy with you. What religion ever had a God that wanted such intimacy with us that he came with such vulnerability to us? What God ever came so tender we could touch him, so fragile that we could break him, so vulnerable that his bare beating heart could be hurt? Only the one who loves you to death. Look, Christmas is so powerful because it is a reminder every year of how helpless and hopeless we were before God sent Jesus into the world to do something none of us could do. God sent Jesus into the world to remove the debt of our sin that our disobedience caused, and he did so by dying on the cross in our place. That Jesus removed the unremovable barrier between sinful humanity and a holy God in order for our sins to be forgiven. Look, this is why we celebrate Christmas, not just that God came down as a baby, but God came down as a baby to get up on a cross in order to save us from our sins. When you look at the nativity scene and you see those little arms in the manger, those arms will eventually wrestle 
with our greatest enemy, death, and we'll destroy it once and for all. Church, I've been praying for us that we wouldn't miss the beauty of Christmas this year. Just been praying that we wouldn't overlook the real reason why Jesus came. We wouldn't get so caught up in the tradition of Christmas, the gifts and the lights and the cookies, and, and those are all good and fine and we should do them, but don't allow these things to distract your heart from worshiping the King of Kings who came to die in your place in order to redeem and in order to save you. This is why chapter nine, verse six, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, is so important why it's packaged in hope. But I love Isaiah. I love this verse. It's, it's filled with so many good truths in here. Isaiah doesn't just stop there. Isaiah 9, 6 shows us something more than just Jesus being our savior. And don't get me wrong, Jesus being our savior is unbelievable. Having our sins forgiven will forever change your life. But there's more in here that Isaiah wants us to see about Jesus. And I think this is helpful for us as we think about worshiping Jesus during Christmas. He, he gives these four names or these four titles about Jesus. Now, these aren't literal names that we call Jesus, but these are used to describe the character of Jesus, the way that Jesus interacts with his people. He says, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Let me break down each one of these and, uh, and, and kind of uh, make it practical for us here this evening. The first one here is wonderful counselor. This describes the eternal wisdom that Jesus possesses. That 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 tells us that Jesus is the wisdom of God, that he provides counsel and guidance in the midst of confusion. And don't we all need this reminder, considering the unprecedented year that we've all had in 2020? This has been the year of living through confusion and uncertainty and, and so many unknowns. And yet this reminds us that Jesus and Jesus alone is our wonderful counselor. That Jesus is able to provide wisdom and direction when we need it the most. Oh, this Christmas break, let's throw ourselves upon Jesus who is our wonderful counselor who can direct our paths in the midst of darkness. Well, secondly, Isaiah also shows us that Jesus is not only a wonderful counselor, but he is a mighty God. I love the fact that this can be translated as a warrior God, that Jesus is our warrior God who not only fought but defeated our ultimate enemy, Satan himself in sin on the cross of Calvary. At the empty tomb of Jesus is really this eternal monument of victory over all that is evil. I love focusing and dwelling on the might and the strength and the power of Jesus, that Jesus isn't a wimpy God, but he is a mighty warrior. I don't know about you, but I had several moments this year, several challenges before me where I'm just praying before the Lord. I'm just crying out to him saying, God, only you can solve this issue. I had so many moments of just crying out to the mighty God that he is, saying only you can bring resolution to this issue in my life. I'm sure you had several moments of your own this year of of crying out to God and viewing him as the mighty warrior God that he is. And look, I, I know that for many of us, most of us, 2020 has been a remarkably difficult year, but one of the 
uh, one of the positives that's come from this year is that we have been reminded of our weakness. We have been reminded of our, of our lack of control. That we, we sometimes think that we're in control of our lives. We've got these plans. We've got everything marked out. And yet 2020 has reminded us of the reality that we cannot guarantee tomorrow. We do not know what tomorrow holds. And yet that's good news for us. It's good news because we know someone who is mighty, who does know what tomorrow brings and who has unlimited power to give us everything that we need to live a life of godliness. Like you don't need to know what tomorrow brings. You don't need to have enough strength conjured up to face tomorrow. You just need to know the mighty one who does know what tomorrow brings and who has the power to enable you to live faithfully. Now let us place ourselves under the might of our strong God where there is no reason to fear. The third description we see here in this verse is Jesus is an everlasting father. I love this aspect about Jesus, again, describing his character towards his people, that Jesus's love for us is father-like. And I love the combination here that Jesus is the everlasting one. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the source of all eternity. Jesus's throne is a forever throne. His kingdom has no end. And yet he loves us like a perfect father. He loves us with an unconditional love. He has a deep care and compassion for his people. I love that aspect. I've been dwelling on that, on that reality because 2020 has been for many of us a lonely year an isolating year. Our, our relationships and our, our connections with people have been restricted or impacted in some way. And yet Isaiah reminds us of the kind of God that we have in Jesus. That Jesus is near to us like a perfect loving father. That he's not distant. He's not disinterested in the things in our lives. No, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And he loves us like a perfect father that we need him to be. And then the last description that Isaiah provides, Jesus is the prince of peace. Isaiah describes Jesus this way because the only way we can experience peace with God is through Jesus. It's exactly what Romans 5.1 says. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. A few chapters from here in Isaiah 9, later on Isaiah 26, God promises to keep all who trust in him in perfect peace. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of peace, that we not only get to experience peace with God through Jesus, but in and through Jesus, we get to experience peace with one another, peace for today and peace for the future. Aren't you thankful for that? I, I haven't talked to anybody this year who didn't have a hard conversation with somebody that ended in a disagreement. It's been a hard year, even relationally, thinking about all these topics, about politics, about race, about global pandemic. Are you a Colts fan or not? All these issues can, can surface and cause disagreement. 2020 has shown us our own need for peace with one another and the reality that we can't conjure it up on our own. And we desperately need the Prince of Peace in our lives. Look, this is, this is why we celebrate Christmas. 
Christmas is all about Jesus, but it's more than just Jesus becoming a baby. It's even more than just Jesus becoming our savior. It's Jesus being our wonderful counselor in the midst of confusion. It's Jesus being our mighty God in the midst of remarkable challenges. It's Jesus being our everlasting father in the midst of loneliness and Jesus being our prince of peace in the midst of distress and division. Because as I close, I just wanna ask you this question. Have you experienced Jesus in this way in 2020? Have you experienced Jesus more than just a distant, abstract idea? And have you experienced the way that Isaiah 9, 6 describes him? And maybe you're here this evening, maybe you're, you're watching online and, and you're saying to yourself, no, I, I haven't experienced Jesus in that way. Jesus does feel distant to me. I haven't given my life to Jesus. What, what do I need to do in order to experience that reality? Well, I would just encourage you, if that's you, that here this evening, maybe it's in this space as we sing the next couple of songs, or maybe it's back at your own home in your living room, for you to cry out before God, accept the free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus and to turn from your sins. And Jesus can be your savior. He can be your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting father and your prince of peace. So our desire would be, if that, if that describes you, that, that you would make that decision this evening, that you would give your life over to Jesus in faith and trust in him and him alone. Look, church, let's not miss the real reason for this season. It's Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. Let's focus our hearts on him, even as we sing these last couple songs and enjoy him this week. Let's pray together. God, we praise you and we thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much that you came, Lord, that you displayed ultimate humility by coming in the form of a baby. We thank you for all the things that you experienced. Lord, you were tempted in every way that we are, and yet you are without sin. Jesus, we thank you that you eventually got up on a cross and that you died in the place of sinners. You died in the place of your enemies. And God, you did that in order to save us, in order to redeem us. And Jesus, we, we celebrate you for that reality. Lord, we declare you the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You deserve all worship. You deserve every every aspect of our lives. And so God, we surrender that to you in our praise this evening. We pray, God, that you would help us to have a, a deeper understanding of you coming. And Lord, that we would worship you as we ought. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.